At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Did you know the best seeds for your garden don't come from the nursery? In fact, the seeds that will create the most robust and delicious fruits and vegetables come directly from your garden. This is because they are uniquely adapted to your growing conditions, better than anything you can buy from a fancy catalog or website. Through the magic of seed saving, it is quite possible to have the garden of your dreams. The best part is, Saving your own seeds is surprisingly easy and fun. With a bit of instruction, anyone can become a seed-saving superstar. Let us teach you how in our free seed-saving webinar. Just text SEEDS to 33444 to sign up or visit SeedSavingHacked.org for more information. That's SEEDS to 33444 or visit seedsavinghacked.org. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the grow your own food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Emily Kite to talk about loving natural foods. Emily has loved food, and wanting to share this passion, she dove into a culinology degree to explore a role as an R&D chef at Southwest Minnesota State University. That was until her mom became sick, and she put her career on hold to act as her mom's caretaker throughout her treatment for multiple myeloma cancer. To Emily's surprise, the doctors provided little information about what to eat as a cancer patient. So she started doing her own research on the effects that food have on chronic disease. Through trial and error in the kitchen, she discovered how whole plants can be used to combat side effects of medication, create pleasure by surprising and challenging your taste buds, and help your body work as effectively as possible. Completely changing her mother's eating habits, as well as her own, helped her develop a brand new love affair with foods in their natural state. Now, she is devoted to sharing her story and this information with others to inspire anyone who eats to fall in love with food again. Welcome to the show today, Emily. Hi, Greg. Nice to talk to you. Hey, hey, thanks for being here. And I just want everybody to know you and I actually met yesterday talking at a farmer's market, right? Yeah, yeah. It was the Uptown Farmer's Market in Phoenix. And it was sort of just by chance we ran into each other and I started talking about my story and you invited me on the podcast and I'm I'm so glad to be here uh, telling a little bit more about my myself and what I've gone through. Nice, nice. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? 
Absolutely. You know, like you said, I sort of started down a different path than I am on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've always loved food. I really wanted to be a chef. And so I looked at culinary school and I looked at becoming a food scientist and I discovered that there was actually a major that combined the two. Mm. So Culinology uh, was created in 2002. The Research Chefs Association created it and it was designed for corporations to hire someone that not only knew how to cook, and how to prepare foods and create really good flavors, but also someone that knew how to package them and make sure they were safe and shelf-stable and all that stuff. So when I started going to college and I was taking all these classes, I was really getting into it. Before I finished my degree, my mom became sick, and she was diagnosed with multiple myeloma, which is a cancer of the plasma cells. And I sort of dropped everything, went home, and I became her caretaker. And as she was going through treatment, she started talking to the doctors about what she could do for her nutrition and how she could improve her herself long term. Uh-huh. And they really didn't have a lot of information for us on the food that she could eat that would combat the side effects and help her live long. So I started to do my own research. And I was able to find some good sources, but there wasn't a lot of information for the general average person that is dealing with a chronic disease to be Mm -hmm. able to go online and find all of this content and find it easy to read. There's a lot of research articles, but it's hard for most people to digest that stuff. So the more that I dove into it, I started to realize that the core problem seemed to be processed foods. Mm, and that a lot of the, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was a, a huge light bulb. And I realized that I had been doing this to myself. My mom had been doing this to myself. The majority of Americans are consuming, you know, this diet of really highly processed foods. And they don't have a lot of connection with how their foods are grown and how it gets to their plate. Mm-hmm. So... The, the more that I got into this, I, I, I sort of in, was inspired by all of my love of food and my research uh, training, just going to the uh, colonology program and being able to be in a test kitchen. Uh-huh. I was able to sort of take some produce. I went into my kitchen. I started taking things off the shelf that were processed and putting those aside and filling up the fridge with only whole foods like plants, uh, mm. fruits and vegetables. And I just experimented and I tried it with my mom and, and gave her food that she had never tried before and some dishes that I thought she would like that would maybe combat her nausea and combat other side Mm, effects. And there was such a change in her life Mm. and in my life. We both were able to, one, have a lot more energy and just feel happier. I know that it really hit us hard emotionally, my mom and I. sure. whole family. We were sort of in a state of, of just depression. And this eating really well and having something to look forward to every day and the the chemical changes that took place in our body from eating these natural the vitamins and the minerals mm-hmm. and all these really good nutrients that came from the source it it changed our lives completely and you know we we both sort of uh, had this realization that this is what we need to be doing and i did a total 180 and went from you know, this career path of wanting to create products, put them on the shelves and, you know, do the marketing for them and the packaging to wanting to help people understand that these whole foods are not only available, they're a lot less expensive than they think that they are and that you don't have to give up all of the foods that you love. You might actually fall in love with food all over again. Nice. Nice. So you said a whole lot there and I've got questions for you. Sure. 
So, and I'm actually really excited about about having this conversation with you because I I'm I consider myself a scientist. I've been studying science since grade school, which was 40 years ago or so, and <laughs> I'm really interested in the science piece. So, you called yourself a food scientist. What does that mean? Well, a food scientist is somebody that is able to create products or do research on food mm -hmm. and make chemical changes in order to have a certain outcome. So for instance, the big thing was, you know, reducing fat a long time ago and the corporations hired these food scientists to come in and make changes to the food so that they were reduced fat products so they could market them accordingly mm. to what was popular and what was recommended. And as things changed, uh, so did the market and low sodium was the next big thing mm. and then it was antioxidants you know and including fiber and now it's probiotics so the science the food scientists go in and they do manipulations and change the chemicals in order to have food that is representative of, of what is very popular at the time so this isn't always real food though and we'll get to what real food is here in a minute this isn't always real food though is it a lot of times it's the artificially created uh, chemicals in the lab that they are using mm. to either fortify or supplement certain foods. Mm. Wonder Bread is a great example that I love because bread in itself is a fine food. The, the idea that you're combining water and salt and flour and yeast to create this product is not inherently bad. But when you start to take the, uh, the grain and remove the germ, which has all of the nutrients that supplies nutrients for the plant mm -hmm. and would supply nutrients to us and you remove that to make it shelf stable and you start to add vitamins and minerals that are artificially created it changes the whole composition of the product mm. and all of a sudden you went from really good bread to this this food stuff that uh, <laughs> does not have the same effect in your body your body doesn't process it the same yeah. way you're psychic i'll tell you because my next question was going to ask you what is foodstuffs? And that's S-T-U-F-F-S. And I recently had a, another guest talking about that. And it's, it's an actual term out there, is it not? It is an actual term, yes, foodstuffs. And it sort of became popular because we wanted a way to differentiate real food, like plants, you know, uh -huh. uh, vegetables, fruit, from things that are artificially created behind the scenes in a, in a lab. Uh-huh. And they're totally different things. And people, when they sit down for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, they think that they're eating food. And it's a very generic blanket term. But when you start to really look into the details and break it down, you start to see that the chemical composition of a lot of the foods that we are eating on a daily basis aren't foods at all. They're just a combination of chemicals that have been created artificially. So to, to make that differentiation of these foods, it really helps people decide what to eat mm -hmm. and understand what is really helping them and what is actually fueling them and what's sort of hindering them and maybe causing problems long term. Yeah. So my curiosity got going and the scientist in me looked up the word food stuff and it is actually one word, F-O-O-D-S-T-U-F-F. Are you ready for what it says? Go ahead. A substance suitable for consumption as food. Yes. Yeah, that sums it up perfectly because 
it's this sort of definition that we have about all of our food. We don't understand that it's not real food. It's designed to look like yeah. food. It's designed to pretend to be food. It's a, it's an act. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, when I said that, when I read the definition, James over here is cracking up laughing. He's started trying so hard not to laugh loud, but it's like, it, it's a funny thing. I mean, a substance suitable for consumption is food. Yes. Yeah. And it's what we're consuming on a daily basis. Yeah. And it's, it's very hard, I think, for a lot of people to get away from that because they have their favorite foods. But once you start to make that, that change in your life, you realize, I don't need food stuff anymore. Real <laughs> food is really helping me. Yeah. So here's, here's a question. When I teach at Arizona State University, the, one of the assignments for the students is to write a 2,000-word paper on what is real food. So I'm not going to have you do 2,000 words, but what's real food to you? <laughs> To me, real food is anything that comes from the ground that has not been manipulated very heavily, has not been processed. Mm -hmm. So there are things that we eat on a regular basis that I would consider processed, and that's things that you have in your fridge that come in a box, things that have been created by a corporation. Mm -hmm. And then there's the things that you buy from the farmer's market or mm -hmm. the things that you go to the grocery store and buy from the produce section. Mm -hmm. If it in itself is one ingredient, I consider that a whole food. I do want to include in my definition of real food, you know, the meat and animal products, because, you know, there, there is a lot of value in them and that diet, although I'm a vegan by health choice at this point, I'm still about seven months into that experiment to see how that's going to work for me. And so far it's working pretty good, but there is, you know, quite a bit of food out there that is in my opinion, real food that comes from animal products. So I just want to throw that in there for our listeners out there. Absolutely. A lot of the people that I've spoken to have a really hard time giving up animal products. Mm -hmm. And they've either been told by their doctors or sometimes they've discovered a diet that works really well for them. Right. And for me, if you can eat as wholly as possible, as many plants as possible, that's fantastic. And mm -hmm. I like to use the term plant-based diet when I talk to people about what they should be eating on a regular basis because that's what I try to do. And that's what I try to get my clients to do is eat as many whole foods as possible. However, it's not always accessible to be able to have fresh produce in your fridge and be able to eat from morning to night mm -hmm. as completely whole foods. And right. I understand that people enjoy meats. If you can make a relationship between you and the person who is either growing your food or the rancher, <laughs> the, the place you get your food, you have a better understanding of what your food is, how it's being grown, the food that the cow is eating or the pig is eating. Mm -hmm. If you ma can make that connection, you can sort of clear the wall between you and the person who is making your food. It helps you understand what you are eating, and there's a little bit more transparency that way. Yeah. Amen to that. And... I'm going to do a shout out for growing your own food as well. Absolutely. Yeah. If you can do that, especially since in Arizona, we don't really have freezes. If you can grow your food at home, or even if you have, if you live in an apartment and you have a windowsill or a patio, if you can start growing herbs or just one produce that you really like, mm -hmm. it'll, it'll make a huge difference in your life. Because when you go outside and you grab that plant that you grew and bring it inside and chop it up and make it taste really good, it will completely change your life because it's something that you created. It means that much more. Oh, my God. I couldn't have said that any better. That was brilliant. Love it. Yes. Love it, I, love I it, love really, it. really believe that. So before we transition here, I want to know why processed foods are the problem. 
I think the processing, like I sort of touched on before with Wonder Bread, changes the food products. So mm. when you have something that is supposed to be really good for you, like bread that can be really good for you because it provides you with nutrients from the grain mm -hmm. and you start to eliminate things. You start to, to change, make changes on the cellular level and make changes in terms of additives in concentrations that don't exist in nature. Mm -hmm. Your body doesn't know how to process that. It, it, it doesn't understand the difference between having a vitamin C capsule and getting vitamin C from an orange mm. until you start to increase the concentrations of those things. So when you're consuming these foods that are manipulated, that have artificial chemicals that your body is not used to, does not know how to process, it has a really hard time working around that. And that's what can lead to problems down the line in terms of mm. chronic inflammation and other chronic diseases and even short-term discomfort. Like if you have lactose intolerance or things like that, there are chemical reasons that we cannot accept certain foods into our body and everybody is different. So what works for one person may not work for another person. Mm. Beautifully said, beautifully said. And and what I encourage people to do, and like I said, I'm on a six-month experiment now with being, well, I'm going to say mostly vegan because I still eat, you know, cheese maybe once or twice a month. What we really have to do is we really have to discover what diet works best for us, right? Absolutely. Everybody is, is different and it just takes experimentation, which allows people to analyze the food that is going into their body and understanding whether they feel good after they've eaten or uh -huh. eaten it or whether they sort of feel maybe a little bit of discomfort or maybe they don't have as much energy or things like that. And it just, it's a process. It's not very simple in the sense that you can't go to a person like a celebrity or a chef or somebody that understands diets really well and has created this specific diet and say, Give me your information. I will follow it to the T and mm -hmm. this will cure me because that, that doesn't work for everybody. Everybody is different and everybody has a different system and people have access to different items too. Some people aren't able to consume grass-fed beef. And so it just depends on your situation. The best thing you can do is just experiment. Even if you make little changes, little changes lead to big changes down the line. It's just about trying things, trying new foods, seeing if it works for you and being aware of what's happening. Excellent. So I know that keeping a food diary probably helps people with that. Do you encourage people to do that? I do. There's a lot of ways you can do that. Some people use apps on their phone. Mm. You can get diet tracking apps where you, you oh. record every little thing mm -hmm. that you eat, or you can do it by hand the old fashioned way and say, for breakfast, I had yogurt, this and that. And that does allow you to just, I think, sort of quantify what you're eating in a very simple way where you're not going to a doctor and getting a ton of blood work and then going to somebody else and saying, this is the blood work, tell me what to eat. You're sort of doing the work yourself, but it's not as complicated yeah. as it, it seems to be from the outside. As long as you understand what you're eating and you keep track of that and say, maybe this whole week I ate grains and it didn't work for me. I was bloated or I felt discomfort mm. or I was sick or I just didn't feel good. If you're able to make that connection 
between the food that you're eating and how you feel, it really does help you down the line to decide what works for me. And so you're actually not not only recording what you're eating, but kind of the effects of what you're eating as well, right? Absolutely. I think that's a big part of it for yeah. people to understand what changes are happening in their body because a lot of times you get really used to feeling a certain way. People get really used to feeling tired and they think, this is just how I am. I'm always just going to be tired. And maybe that's not the case. Maybe there's a dietary change that you can make, introducing more fruits and vegetables into your diet, trying a smoothie in the morning, eating salad during the middle of the day instead of heavy carbs, or making a change at night where you're having a fresh meal instead of going out to eat. If you can understand what is happening in your body and the changes that are happening, it really, really does help long term. Got it. So... You've mentioned chronic disease and inflammation along our conversation so far. So what can I do to prevent or treat chronic disease using nutrition? I think like we talked about with processed food, the biggest thing is trying to cut out as much of the sort of food stuff as possible. Mm -hmm. if, if we can get back to eating as naturally as possible in terms of our resources, that seems to reduce the occurrence of a lot of these chronic diseases. We know that a lot of them are tied to diet. And I, I think it's about not understanding that there are ties, but actually implementing it into our daily lives. So it's really easy to sort of say, I'll do this tomorrow, or this is something that I don't have to worry about because I'm really young and it's not for a long time that I'm going to be experiencing maybe heart problems or lung problems or things like that. But if you can make changes in your life little by little, the risk for heart disease goes down. The risk for mm -hmm. cancer goes down. Mm -hmm. If you're eating whole foods and you're getting the nutrients the way that nature intended you to get those nutrients, your body responds. It understands how to process that and it works more efficiently because it has all of the nutrients that it needs to survive and it's not fighting off all of these chemicals that it doesn't understand how to process. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned something, and I'm, I'm pretty vocal about my age. I'm in my mid-50s, and right. I'm starting to deal with some chronic disease. And who I'm really concerned for are the millennials, the under 30s, because mm -hmm. we live in a really polluted world these days. And it's my belief that they need to be much more cognizant and conscious about what they're putting in over the long term because there's much more chemicals out there. How do you feel about that? Absolutely. From my birth until now, I'm 27. And so my age has really, it's, it's been a different experience for me than my mom when she was 27. She was mm -hmm. experiencing different things because she had eaten completely different foods. And as people became more busy and everybody was in the workplace and had no time to sit at home and cook foods and all of these processed foods were put on the shelf and fast food became easy and there's more restaurants. Everything became a lot easier to mm -hmm. consume. And these young kids that are starting out and think that they should be healthy because they maybe try to eat healthy or they're very young, so they're not going to experience these things. They've eaten processed foods their whole life mm -hmm. because they've, they really haven't been exposed to anything else. It's so prevalent now. And 
it's hard for, I think, young kids to really understand the difference between these processed foods and what food can actually be and maybe what their parents ate or what their grandparents ate. Mm -hmm. And so if, if we can do some more education and prevention with these kids that are wanting to make healthy changes and this sort of post-industrialization era that we're in right now where we're getting back to local mm -hmm. and sustainable and smaller production, it's a process, but I think if we can gear a lot of that towards the younger generations, they're the ones that are going to be able to make these changes and prevent disease in their lives and their children's lives. Yeah, One of, one of the things I've noticed, so my mom is in her 80s, and she's dealing with, at, in her 80s, the same kind of chronic disease now that I'm dealing with in my 50s. Mm -hmm. And th that is in big part why I'm concerned about the young people because, uh, you know, here I am at 56 years old and I have chronic stuff going on. And it's like, what's going on? So I've really, sure. you know, I've dove in over the past five or 10 years to kind of explore this. Absolutely. There's a lot of information out there when you start doing your own research and you start to, like I said, experiment. Mm -hmm. it, things things do sort of come to light over time, but it is a process because you have corporations that are sort of in the marketing. They're in business. They're mm -hmm. All they need to do is sell you a product and they fulfilled their goal, but it's hurting you long term. And so these these kids that are wanting to make changes, it's very hard because there's a lot of influences out there. Yeah. They have social media now. When you didn't have social media when you right. were young and exactly. your parents didn't have social media when you were young, everything is so fast and so instant now. So they, they're in that mindset that this is what my food should be as well. It should be as quick as possible and as easy as possible. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's sort of leading them down that line. Yeah. So where should I be shopping for food at? I think the best place to get your food is as locally as possible. So if you have a farmer's market that you can get produce from, go to the farmer's market, talk to the farmers, see what they're selling, see what's seasonal and what they're able to grow and what their favorite food is. And maybe they have a recommendation for how to cook that thing. Mm. You don't be afraid to ask. They have a lot of information because they grew the food. They understand how it was made. They understand what the food is. So don't be afraid to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. If you can also make connections, like I said, with if you have a rancher that you are getting your meat from and you understand how the cows are being raised and what they're eating, you're able to consume food, consume meat that is a lot cleaner and a lot better for you than meat that you don't understand what went into mm -hmm. it or what the cows ate. So trying to collect food from local sources, local farmers, you're not only supporting small businesses in your area, but you're also getting food that is really nutrient dense mm -hmm. because it's not being shipped from New York. It's not being shipped from Mexico. Yeah. It's grown right here and it's seasonal and it's fresh and you can try a lot of different foods. A lot of times the farmers and the the vendors at the farmer's market will give you samples. So mm -hmm. if you are afraid or you don't understand what it tastes like, ask them. See if they have some suggestions. Beautiful. Yeah, and always make friends with your farmers. It's a great idea. They make great <laughs> friends. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So how do I know if I'm eating well for me? Going back to what we said with the journal, 
if you are recording what you are eating and you're experimenting and trying different foods, trying to implement whole foods, even little by little into your lives and keeping track of that, I think you have a better understanding of whether this diet that you are consuming is good for you and is working for you. You Mm -hmm. always want to talk to your doctor because you yourself are not a doctor. I am not a doctor. And so it's good to have that connection and that rapport with a doctor who can do blood work and say, listen, you know, this, maybe you're not getting enough fiber, but rather than going out and taking a fiber supplement, what are some whole foods Mm -hmm. you can put into your diet to increase your fiber intake? And a lot of the the focus does tend to be sort of on those nutrients because they're very easy, they're quantifiable, doctors can refer you to them, and it, it's it sort of lays everything out. But the problem with that is when you hold a piece of kale up or you hold a piece of fruit in your hand, you don't understand how much vitamin C is in that or mm. how much fiber is in this. You can make estimations, but when you start to create these little nutrients and these details of your food, it, it takes away from the food as a whole. And you're not consuming the food in the way that nature intended you to consume the food if you're just getting fiber from supplements. Mm-hmm. So as much as you can, try to experiment, try new foods. Don't be afraid to try foods that maybe you didn't like in the past. Maybe things have changed. Maybe there's a different variety of apple that you can try that you'll really like or different grains that you can try that you have never tried before. Don't be afraid to make those make those changes. And if they work for you, great. See if there's other things that work. If they don't work for you, there's always alternatives. There's mm-hmm. always things that you can do to make your life and make your lifestyle in terms of nutrition a little bit better. So it sounds to me like we really have to take responsibility for what we're putting in our body, what we're eating, and for our health. And, and that requires some work. It does require work. Just like anything else in life, The things that are the hardest are usually the most fulfilling. Mm -hmm. And this isn't designed to be super hard. This shouldn't be a science. There is a science behind food, and it's great that we understand that there are nutrients and what these nutrients do in our bodies, but the everyday person isn't a scientist. Mm -hmm. And so for them to be able to make changes to their diet, they have to have some way to understand food as a whole rather than these specific nutrients. Because if they're consuming an an apple, they're getting tons of nutrients in the way that it was created naturally, not combining it in pills and consuming it that way. So if, if people are able to put in a little bit of work to just try different foods and experiment in the kitchen. It doesn't have to be a really difficult process. You don't have to spend a lot of money. Little changes here and there can really, really make a difference. Cool. So you're a health nutrition coach, right? I do health nutrition coaching. I consider myself a nutrition consultant. Mm. I'm not a huge fan of the nutrition concept just because it sort of does narrow everybody down into fiber, protein, and all these nutrients. Mm. But mm-hmm. what I, I want people to really get from any coaching that I do or any workshop that I host is how can I make changes in my life to make myself feel better, to make myself live longer, to make my kids live longer. Mm-hmm. What can I do? What changes can I reasonably make in my life to have good food on my table and love the food and experiment in the kitchen and try new things? Because there's 
always things that can be done. You are never a lost cause. There's always changes that you Mm -hmm. can make to make yourself better. You're not passionate about this, are you? I'm so passionate about it. I I really, really do believe in this wholeheartedly. If I wouldn't have gone through what I went through with my mom and yeah. the, the difficulty, we, I wouldn't have been down this path, but it has completely changed my life. And all I want to do is help people eat better yeah. and enjoy food again. Beautiful, beautiful. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might have learned from it. Okay. You know, a lot of my failures really are still occurring. When you are working in a kitchen and you're trying to create recipes Mm -hmm. for people, it's a process. And I fail constantly because I think I have this really good recipe that I've made for a client. And I tell her about it and she tries it and says, this is terrible. I don't (laughs) like this. it, It really is a process. And I've definitely not been successful time and time again Mm -hmm. and it's taken a lot of courage to sort of come back from that and say keep trying it just takes experimentation and all of my clients are different and so I'll go to a different client when I speak to them they have a totally different background and maybe they like that food or maybe there's something that I can try that's a little bit different And that's really sort of been uh, one of my learning experiences is that everybody is different. Mm. There's not one solution. I don't have the solution. Nobody does. It's a process and it just takes time getting down to where you need to be in your health. And I think the, a really big failure in addition to the sort of daily things that I go through is when I dove down that path of trying to be a research scientist Mm -hmm. and being an R&D chef, I thought I had everything in order and I had made all these plans and I really thought I had what I wanted to do in my life. And my mom's diagnosis took me completely by surprise and really stopped everything that I was, I was planning on doing. And I went home and took care of her and I would do it all over again because she really means everything to me, but it just came out of nowhere and I wasn't ready for it. And one of the things I learned from that is that life isn't stagnant. It's constantly changing and you have to change with it. And (laughs) the beautiful thing that came out of this is that my mom was in this terrible situation and she wasn't happy and now she's eating better better than she's ever eaten in her entire life and she's discovered how much she really does love real food fruits Mm -hmm. and vegetables she had never tried before and I have the privilege of helping people (laughs) on a daily basis doing that and it means it means everything nice so what do you consider your biggest success I would have to say my mom she really is she was the first person that got to experience me in my my realist form Mm -hmm. uh, experimenting in the kitchen and you know failing and not getting it right and trying to get her to eat well and experimenting with her and seeing her go from the worst place in her life to being happy and enjoying little things again like sitting down with with the family and eating food that she loves and the food that loves her back and loves her body it's so fulfilling to me and and getting to implement that now with my clients and watching them have the same epiphanies 
and get the same joy mm-hmm. from these really good food. It's it's the best thing that I could do with my life. It's an absolute dream. It really is. <laughs> I can tell. I can absolutely yeah. <laughs> tell. So what drives you? Well, food is, I guess, the simplest answer. Imagine uh, that. Food really drives me. I, I really love food. People often mistake eating well with with diets and mm. food that they don't like and mm-hmm. denying yourself pleasure and that couldn't be further from the truth food is delicious real food is is the best thing you will ever eat i promise <laughs> and i i love eating i still love eating i don't consider myself on a diet i don't tell my clients to go on diets i tell them listen there's a way to eat that you're eating now that isn't working for you what changes can we make to what you eat on a daily basis to make you enjoy food again and make you happy and make you healthy. So it's it's a whole concept of eating for life, not just eating for very specific reasons because your doctor tells them, but eating because it makes you happy, it gives your life purpose. Mm-hmm. Nice, 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 nice. So I'm all about education and I have to know, is there a book or three that you know has contributed or been influential in your life? Absolutely. Uh, I think one of the first authors that I read anything from was Michael Pollan. Mm-hmm. And I'm mm-hmm. sure you're familiar with him. A lot of people oh, yes. are. He he is a phenomenal read. He has a number of works out, but it's so easy for people to digest his literature because it's very, very easy to read. Mm-hmm. It's, he has scientific backing. He's He's not himself a scientist, but he has research behind what he does and what he writes but it's so easy for people to connect with him because he sort of went through what a lot of people are going through, where he looked at the diet and said, what's wrong and what do I eat? How do I know what to eat? Right. And he, one of the, the books that I really swear by is called In Defense of Food. Mm-hmm. And Michael Pollan absolutely beautifully illustrates the problems with our traditional diet here in America and the changes that we can implement to not only make our lives better, but the lives of our children better. Mm-hmm. And another author that I really respect and get so much out of is Marion Nestle's What to Eat. And this is a pretty thick read. There's a lot of information in here, but this book answers all of the questions, the really tough questions that people have, like organic foods. And are, tr- are trans fats that bad for you? And food about cl- or, uh, information about cholesterol and plastics and things like that that you don't usually get straight answers from people out of. She addresses them head on and does so in a really, really easy to read manner. She's a great author. She's got a great personality too. If you look her up on YouTube, she's phenomenal to watch. I nice. really highly suggest those books. So interestingly enough, you said her name not the way I would say it. I would say Nestle. So <laughs> I'm wondering if it's the same family. I, I don't know if it's Nestle or Nestle, but I hope it's not the same from Nestle. No. It would be a weird tie if she was. Well, or, or you know, the logical tie because John Robbins wrote Diet for a New America. And ah. he's the child of the, you know, Baskin and Robbins founders. It, you know, I wouldn't be surprised, I guess, because so many people like myself sort of go from eating crappy, eating really bad food, to having an epiphany and having a, a life-changing moment. So it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. 
So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? I think the biggest thing that I can suggest for people is just eat as much plants, as many real food as possible. Eat as much as you can from farmers markets and from the produce section and things that grow from the ground, try to get those into your diet. It's never going to be perfect. You're never going to be perfect. So you sort of got to step back from that and say, even though I don't have the perfect diet and I may never have the perfect diet, what can I do right now to make myself happy, to enjoy food again, to challenge my taste buds and maybe try a different flavor that I've never tried before. If you can just make those little changes and try to get away from the processing as much as possible, I really think it makes a huge difference in people's lives, not only physically in their bodies, but mentally too. It just gives you something enjoyable in your life because everything sort of revolves around food, weddings, other celebrations, <laughs> everything. Everything yeah. revolves around food. Food plays an important role in our culture. I don't think we should get away from food. I think we should build a stronger bond to it. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, you know, when we have a party, where do people end up in the house? Absolutely. In the in kitchen. kitchen. Yeah. Yep. And well, the cool thing here at the Urban Farm, they end up in the yard where the food's growing. So that's, that's beautiful. I love to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Emily. It has been a treat getting to chat with you. It was a pleasure talking to you. So how can our listeners find you? You can email me at emily, that's E-M-I-L-E-Y, at eatrightbykite.com. And kite is spelled K-I-G-H-T. And I do nutritional consultations with people one-on-one. I also give workshops, too. If you have any information regarding your story and would like to share that with me, too, I'm also always looking information on people and what changes they're making and whether they've had a really impactful moment in their life. Mm -hmm. And if there's anything I can do uh, for you in terms of consultations, definitely contact me and I will help you. Perfect. Perfect, perfect. You can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash Emily, and that's E-M-I-L-E-Y. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Did you know the best seeds for your garden don't come from the nursery? In fact, the seeds that will create the most robust and delicious fruits and vegetables come directly from your garden. This is because they are uniquely adapted to your growing conditions, better than anything you can buy from a fancy catalog or website. Through the magic of seed saving, it is quite possible to have the garden of your dreams. The best part is, saving your own seeds is surprisingly easy and fun. With a bit of instruction, anyone can become a seed-saving superstar. Let us teach you how in our free seed saving webinar. Just text SEEDS to 33444 to sign up or visit SeedSavingHacked.org for more information. That's SEEDS to 33444 or visit SeedSavingHacked.org. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. 
Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.